Right about the next hour to spend more time uh, talking again about worship. This one's going to be a little bit broader than music. Uh, going to be a study, kind of a thematic study through the Psalms on expressions of worship. Uh, but before I do that, I threw a lot of information at you during the first hour and uh, didn't have much chance for uh, feedback or questions and answers, anything like that. Uh, do you have questions or uh, something that maybe I was not clear on that you'd like clarification from that first hour, kind of the, the kinds of songs we sing? Yes. song is quoting verbatim something from the New Testament, for example, uh, which category, if not a psalm, which of the other two categories would it be? Probably a, probably a hymn, because I think, I think the New Testament has some hymns. You know, there are some passages like Philippians 2 uh, on Christ's, you know, dissension, and then God has highly exalted him. Uh, it looks like poetry. It probably was quoting a hymn. Uh, this passage in Colossians, uh, John one maybe a hymn. So I would say probably hymns, but it's a it's a little bit it's a little bit tricky because you know in, in modern in modern uh, genres, I think of hymns as uh, maybe more traditional, more formal, uh, Godward, holy, 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 and then there's a there's a whole a whole era called the gospel song, um, Fanny Crosby type. Um, Bill Gaither, their, their gospel songs, they sing a lot about what Christ has done for me and salvation. And they're not as formal, maybe a little bit more personal. We call them gospel songs. And all of it's a little bit fluid. And then, you know, then we have praise choruses. And, and then, you know, I'm talking primarily about hymns that we sing congregationally because I think that's the most important thing the church does. But I'm also very grateful for choirs and solos. There are some songs that are great for choir that's bad for congregation. You know, they're just hard to sing. Uh, you, you're not going to congregationally sing the holy city. You know, imagine Jerusalem, probably not. You know, so, uh, so we, Church Works Media, we try to write hymns for congregations. And then somebody might take those and arrange them for choir, and it works. Uh, it, it kind of, you can move from hymn to a performance piece. It's harder to move the other way. Uh, because performance pieces just aren't as easily singable, range, music style, stuff like that. But. Like most of Handel's Messiah. Handel's Messiah. A lot of repetition in there, and we're probably not going to do it congregationally. You know. Questions from uh, anything else from that first session? You all sing, you, know, how, you sing from the uh, Rejoice Hymnal that has some, you sing some like Getty songs, so some old, uh, some new, need something borrowed, and you have blue, <laughs> you have blue chairs. So, all right. So it would be very complicated. I, I think it's ideal to kind of have, have a, uh, a nice variety like that. Actually, Spurgeon published a hymnal, and he, I think they called it Our Hymnal or something. You know, it wasn't a great name. Um, <laughs> But he has an introduction. He said, we chose what we determined to be the best hymns regardless of the source they came from. Okay, so we actually, you know, when we sing a song by St. Francis, he's, he's a Roman Catholic, pre-Reformation, and uh, we'll sing 
what I, uh, oh, sacred head now wounded, I think he wrote, we're going to sing that. Um, even though, you know, he wasn't an independent fundamental Baptist or something. We're, you know, there's, we're just looking for beautiful truth and, um, and not, you know, not uh, rubbing something out because it came from Presbyterian or whoever. We just, we're looking for the best hymns to sing. I think that, that kind of process, that's one of the good things about a hymnal is there had to be a review process. Now, you know, I mean, I guess I've been a beneficiary that songs can go, they're posted on the internet and they can be sung the next Sunday. Uh, but it, it kind of doesn't give us a chance to really vet them and, and let time kind of sort out what's worthwhile. But anyway, I, I try not to be a hymn snob. Um, and I want to be easily blessed. And um, I've had some experiences that, that have, maybe um, qualified my, my thinking on this. You know, I, I want to sing rich doctrinal stuff, uh, and can it be arise my soul arise, uh, before the throne of God above. You sing that? I mean, Marvel is beautiful. I was in church in Ohio next to a guy, a new convert. He had been a drug addict, and he was, um, he was illiterate. Didn't know hymns, and he couldn't read. So we're singing like Arise My Soul Arise and I'm just belting it out and he's just quiet because he can't sing it. And then uh, for whatever reason in our service order that week, we sang uh, the praise chorus, God is so good. You know, just God is so good, God is so good, God is so good, he's so good to me. All of a sudden this guy's singing like with all of his might and it, it just struck me like, you know what, we probably should choose, you know, stretch people, but choose some simpler songs so that children in the congregation can sing them more easily. Uh, Maybe new believers or maybe people that are a little bit, uh, maybe just a little bit more, um, more, more simple or uneducated. They can, they can grab onto it. Uh, So it was good for me to just, Hey, don't, don't be an elitist, you know, don't be a snob. Just Jesus is being praised. That's a good thing. And, uh, and, I, I kind of ended by saying we. I, I think, I think we tend to be too easily offended, and uh, I, I'm not saying you know just you know, um, you know throw open the barn door to anything anybody wants to do. You know, don't sing about evolution, for example. Um, but I, I think at some point, mercy. The the history of of the fundamentalist movement. Um, you know, we tend to identify ourselves with that kind of heritage. The beauty of it was we agree on these doctrines and we'll fight for them. We'll do battle royal for them. We'll lose our churches for them, lose our jobs for them. Um, But aside from this core body of doctrine, we're going to give each other some space on, on some other issues. And that's our heritage. And then over time, we just kind of kept adding more things that we fight over. And, um, and I think we probably have fought a little bit too much on this one. I'm, I'm still calling. I mean, the whole, the whole point of the book is calling for discernment and maybe more intentionality. Uh, but I think we could also use a little bit more graciousness as well. And, um, and we're going to get some more of that in this, this second message. So um, if the first one didn't make you mad, the second one might. So <laughs> we'll keep working at it. Right. Any other comments or questions? Quick. Yes. So to go along with what you've already said, if someone 
has written a song and they sing it in a way that you don't exactly agree with, but you still think it's a good song, you should put that aside and sing it anyway. I'm not saying should. Um, you know, the... I, I wouldn't mind. There, there might be a song I'm going to sing differently than it was initially recorded. Um, but if it's still an excellent, you know, theological, beautiful, musical song, I still probably would use it. The big exception people are making today is uh, there are some, some churches, denominational groups putting out music. Uh, one is Bethel. Another one is Hillsong. And, um, and those movements are kind of, they have doctrinal problems. So somebody says, should we sing those songs? And the easy answer is like, no, we shouldn't sing those songs ever, period. Um, now, there are a few songs written in those groups that are they're just really meaningful, beautiful. They're very doctrinal. Uh, my conscience would let me use those. Somebody else might say, well, I don't want to use that song. And then people who enjoy that song start looking for more, and then they get more enamored with, Hillsong, and I don't want to promote them, so I'd rather just not. I, I'm fine with that as well. But, but you know, we're, we're talking about exercising discernment, some wisdom, and not everybody's going to be in agreement. So if your, church is, if your church chooses not to use any song by Hillsong, no matter how good it is, that's fine. Another church might make a different decision on that song, and it's okay. Um, I had a conversation... And then, you know, this is um, fairly personal, but I, I do a lot of work with Majesty Music. And uh, we'll talk tomorrow about some of that. Um, was wrote a song called uh, You Are Always Good after the tragic passing of their son. And um, just, it's been an honor to work with them. Um, Churchworks Media put out a recording several years ago that the sound of it was not something that Majesty Music would have published. And it, was, you know, it wasn't egregious. It was just had, had a different sound, had a little bit more thump. And, um, and Shelley Hamilton called me and she said, well, Chris, you know, what, what's happening with this song? And I said, well, you know, here's how it came about. And, um, and I enjoy it. I, I didn't write it, but I think it's well done. And uh, I think it'll minister to people. And Shelly, if you don't like it, what I would ask and, you know, recommend is if you don't like it, don't use it, but don't end our collaboration. You know, there, there was a time where if, if I don't like something you do, you're dead to me. And just say, all right, so, so I enjoy these songs and then somebody does something that's not my preference. I can, I can live with it. Don't use that song, but don't burn everything else, you know, at a Sunday evening barbecue or something. <laughs> and um, I, I do think, I just think we've been, we've been kind of quick on the trigger to, uh, to be a little bit more isolationist than necessary. And knowing that, you know, knowing that this is, uh, every church is going to have to make decisions that, require some discernment, some judgment. And um, knowing that, then, then you, it, it's okay. You know, and 
I would preach, now I'm away from music, I'm just talking about unity, but I would preach in our church in Atlanta. Um, you know, we are not the Christian school church or the homeschool church or the public school church. We're a gospel-centered, Bible-preaching church. And there's going to be people that make different educational decisions. Okay, and, and we are not insisting that everybody in our church you know, listen to Majesty Music in the Wilds, but not listen to the local, you know, fish uh, contemporary radio. We're not insisting that everybody come to lockstep agreement. We're a Bible teaching church. And then your family is going to need to make decisions on, on some of your other, you know, is this a, um, is going to movies okay in this church or just live streaming? <laughs> you know, for the longest, for the longest time, you couldn't go to a movie theater, but you could go to Blockbuster. And the reason why is because the sticky floor in the theater is what's really objectionable. <laughs> and, and it was just kind of like, you know, are you, you can do that or you can do that. Can, can you have cable or not have cable? And um, can you have television? There, there were people that had all these extra layers of rules. And reading passages like Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, you might decide that you're not going to have any part to do with, with uh, Hollywood movies. And somebody else in your church makes a different decision for their family. It doesn't affect you in the slightest, so you just, you just show deference to each other and you don't have to be in lockstep agreement. There was a time when you had to be in agreement and you definitely had to do whatever the pastor did. And at some point you just say, listen, we, we agree on our doctrinal statement and we agree on our love for Jesus, our mission together. And, you know, some of you cheer for the Buckeyes, some of you cheer for the Wolverines. That, Gators, that's going to take, you know, grace. But but we, the Bible doesn't tell us that to be unified, we have to be uh, unanimous. You know, uh, somebody has said, you can be my brother without being my twin. And a big burden of mine now is um, just urging people, we need to separate where the Bible requires it over false teaching. But um, I'm going to preach tomorrow from 3 John. There's a guy named Diotrephes. He's the villain, not the hero. And he's causing all kinds of division in the church over extra biblical stuff, stuff that the Bible doesn't speak to clearly. He's just causing trouble. And when I was reading that, there was a moment where I was like, oh, I've been that guy. I thought I was defending the faith, and actually I was just defending my turf, my preferences. And um, so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to kind of balance that out a little bit uh, and, and not, you know, dive into a ditch on the other side, but just we, we can be committed and we'll take a bullet for these truths and other truths. We believe them firmly, but we're, we're not going to, you know, completely ostracize somebody that might disagree with us on that opinion. And that, that, takes some, that takes some work to learn that kind of graciousness. There's a great book called uh, The Conscience by um, Annie Nacelli and then a missionary, J.D. Crowley. Um, I think both are Bob Jones grads, but they're writing about there are some things that really bother your conscience, but they're not, they're not wrong. I'll give you a, a silly one. How many of you are from Bob Jones, just out of curiosity? Not many. <laughs> Not many. All right. Um, I am. 
And at Bob Jones, when you would sing in public, you know, they would have a microphone on a stand and you would stand in front of it with your hands at your side and one foot in front of the other so you get good breath support and you would never hold a microphone because holding a microphone is whirly. Which is so arbitrary. You know, who said? I looked up microphone in my concordance and it's not there. But it's just what I got used to. And then I would see, you know, Christians singing, um, Pensacola, especially, they love their microphones. And, um, you know, so they're singing with a microphone and, and it really kind of bugged me. Not because the Bible says anything about it. It's just my conscience got accustomed to my way. And I can't offend my conscience, but in the book they say you can recalibrate your conscience. You know, there are some things that, that offend you that maybe shouldn't offend you. It's just dumb, you know. And again, for some of you, like, maybe you spent your whole life where Christians don't go to a theater, and now you're older and you're like, I still can't go to a theater. That's fine. Don't go to a theater. But don't be too bothered if, if others in your church do. You can, you can adjust your conscience and be a little bit more gracious. So that has nothing to do with tonight's topic. Well, a little bit, I guess, but that was all for free. So um, we, we could learn a little bit more graciousness. All right. all right, let's get to this study. And I joke that this will make you mad. I hope, hope it doesn't make you mad, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to laugh at us a little bit. All right. Um, when, we, when we come from a... Uh, especially if we're coming from a really conservative perspective. Um, I want to talk tonight about expressions of worship, reconsidering uh, biblical patterns of praise. Like, what does worship look like in the Bible? Uh, I've already said for some, the word worship is a call to arms rather than a call to prayer. Style often trumps substance. And I'm not just saying like with, with modern broad evangelicalism. I'm saying there are really conservative people that care more about style than substance. They'll, they'll fight over not having a drum set, uh, but they sing stupid stuff. You know, I was part of a group that was so conservative and they would never sing, uh, you know, something that was performed in a, in a uh, CCM style. But then in the back of our hymn book, we had songs like, uh, cheer up you saints of God, there's nothing to worry about. Have you ever heard that? Cheer up, you saints of God, there's nothing to worry about. It just, it just, just kind of silly. You know, I loved as a kid singing, Are You Done Hearted? Do you know Are You Done Hearted? Because at the end you go, Are You Done Hearted? <laughs> and the only reason I like the song is because you got to whistle in church. I felt like I was, you know, being rebellious um, as an eight-year-old. We, we sang some silly stuff. Oh, but we were very intolerant of, of other people that, you know, saying stuff that we, we didn't approve of. Um, entertainment often trumps exaltation. And, and again, that can happen in a really conservative church where we have the best music program in town. And wow, is this worshipful or is it, is it just trying to entertain to wow people? Um, excesses are often met with excesses. So, you know, you, you watch on TV and you see people who are singing praise to God and they're just all over the place and you're like, I'm glad we're not like that. I refuse to even smile when I sing. <laughs> you know, like, all right, let's, let's sing Rejoice in the Lord. Everybody frown. 
and we'll sing together. You know, and, and we're, we don't want to be excessive. And I, I mentioned that with Pentecostalism. You know, we say like they overemphasize the spirit. Yeah, but now we act like he doesn't exist. So the pendulum overswings, overcorrects. And there's a tendency to equate our preferences with scripture, thereby undermining scripture. Jesus said that about the Pharisees, that they, they teach as doctrines the tradition of men. And, and they're actually countering scripture. Now, remember, we're people of the Bible. We say that scripture is our only authority. Okay, and, and we have a variety of ways we say that. Um, our doctrinal statements will often say that the scriptures are sufficient as our in, uh, only infallible authoritative rule of faith and practice. Um, we're unique in that we don't only believe in the inspiration and inerrancy of scripture, but we believe in the sufficiency of scripture. Uh, Catholics believe in the inspiration of the Bible. Uh, they don't believe in the sufficiency of the Bible. You know, they add to it either the Apocrypha or, or church councils or papal bulls. We believe that the Bible is our rule of faith and practice, especially when it comes to matters of doctrine. Second Timothy 3, uh, Paul's going to say, Timothy, continue in what you've learned. Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for doctrine, proof, correction, instruction, and righteousness so that the man of God will be uh, mature and thoroughly equipped to every good work. I charge you, preach the word. Second uh, Peter 1, God has given us all things that are necessary for life and godliness. When you think of the five solas, uh, we hold to sola scriptura, that you can't convince me about something uh, related to Christian doctrine. You cannot convince me with something outside of the Bible. That's what Luther said. Unless I can be persuaded by scripture, then, then here I stand. I'm not going to change. Well, we say we believe all of that, and even this regulative principle, um, the regulative principle is a teaching that we're not free to worship God however we devise. We worship God according to the ways he's revealed in Scripture. Okay, so if, if Scripture has examples of certain forms of worship, then we do those, but it's not up to us to do like, we're going to do we're going to have a Christian juggling ministry. You know, juggling is not something we can add to our worship service uh, because it's, it's not supported by Scripture. So, so the second London's ba- uh, London Baptist Confession says, the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited by his own revealed will that he may not be worshiped according to the imagination and devices of men, uh, Etc. It has to be prescribed in the Holy Scriptures. Uh, I mentioned earlier my friend Michael Barrett. The criterion for conducting or evaluating worship cannot be in terms of tradition, not, not even our tradition. Uh, I know this is going to sound simplistically pious, but the only legitimate criterion for evaluating and determining worship is the Scripture, our only rule of faith and practice. If being biblical is the standard of worship, then there may even be cherished aspects of traditional worship that have to be adjusted or abandoned. Being biblical means having the resolve to either change or not change, depending on what the Bible says. Okay, so what I'm saying is the Bible's the authority, um, not all kinds of extra studies, like I said earlier, that rock music kills plants or whatever. Um, that, that doesn't make a case. What does the Bible have to say? Now, all of that by way of introduction. 
Imagine being in a worship service that included the following elements. Music played on strings, brass, woodwinds, and percussion. We're okay so far? Some of you had to swallow hard on percussion. Uh, Loud, joyful, boisterous singing. I mean, not mumbling, but like, bring it. Like, really sing. How about clapping, shouting, and raising your hands? You're agitated, yeah. (laughs) Kneeling down, bowing, even falling uh, prostrate with your face to the ground. How about dancing? I mean, if if we start dancing, you're going to... Tony just about lost his mind. (laughs) Tony just did a look like... Does that... What does that sound like to you? Yeah, you might say, well, that sounds charismatic. And I would say, no, actually, that, that sounds like the Psalms. It sounds like the Psalms. And we're, we're not afraid of the Psalms. We're, we're not afraid of what the Bible says. Okay, now, I, I'm not going to suggest that, you know, tomorrow let's all dance. Um, but truly, if, if we really are people of the book then when we're determining what our worship expression should look like, then we can go to the scriptures and see what the scriptures say. And if the scriptures are in favor of something, then we should maybe check ourselves before being too adamant and in, in being opposed to it. Uh, saw a guy, he's, he's arguing for very conservative worship styles. Um, and, and that's fine. But he said, you know, something like, you know, if, if you weren't alive a century ago, it would never occur to you to raise your hands during a song. You know, so he's just saying like, oh, raising your hands during a song is a modern, you know, weird habit of, of the church today. And, and I just want to say, listen, the Psalms are going to talk about it. And First Timothy is going to talk about raising your hands in worship. If your desire for conservatism has you arguing against the Psalms, then you need to check yourself. You know, we we can't be opposed to what the Bible's for. And so I want to kind of go through these a little bit. The elements of biblical worship, the elements means, means what are we doing that is part of our worship service? And the focus is primarily on content. Scripture reading is worship. Okay, so when we, when we listen to the Bible read, you think of the pictures in Nehemiah, where the Bible is read and then explained. Or Paul telling Timothy, give attention to the reading of the word. It, it always uh, bothers me a little bit when a pastor says, well, I'm going to shorten uh, my scripture reading so I have more time for the sermon. <laughs> I want to say, brother, the only part of the sermon you're sure you're right on is the scripture reading. <laughs> shorten your sermon and, and read more scripture. That's worship. Um, prayers, prayers of adoration, petition, confession, uh, prayers are worship. In fact, I, I like to urge people, my dad taught me how to pray and I urge people to pray the same way. Pray as a family for 10 minutes with a rule that you can't request anything. You pray for 10 minutes and all you're doing is giving praise to God. It's not God give us or help us or heal or provide. It's just, God, you're awesome. You are great and merciful and and powerful, and wise, and you haven't treated us as we deserve. You pity us like your children. You, you can pray the Psalms with one eye open and, and just praise God for his attributes 
and his titles. He is a shepherd, a shield, a refuge, a fortress, a deliverer. Not just a deliverer, he's my deliverer, my fortress, my shepherd. And, and you praise him in prayer. And yeah, it's fine to ask. He, has, he tells us to ask for things. But practice praying with no requests. Uh, one of my favorite things we would do at the church in Ohio, it was small enough, we would have a prayer of adoration. And uh, might have a pastor or one of our leaders open, but then we would just have it kind of quiet and somebody could speak out, Lord, I praise you that you are merciful. And then somebody else would speak out, I praise you for your faithfulness. Thank you, God, for being so patient. Thank you for your forgiveness. And, you know, sometimes somebody would speak two people at once and you just back up and start again, you know. But it was just, it was just, just beautiful to worship together that way. Prayer is worship. Preaching and teaching is worship. Because you're, you're saying, God, teach me something. I, I'm listening to you. That's worship. Singing, testimonies, uh, the ordinances are worship. That is uh, the Lord's table and uh, baptism. Even giving offerings is worship. You're not giving primarily to keep the lights on. You're giving because God is worthy of, of your gifts. So we, we say it this way. When we worship, we read the word, pray the word, preach the word, sing the word. We picture the word. I'm talking about the ordinances. You know, there, there are these, these images of the cleansing power of the blood and the sustaining power of Christ's flesh that, that feeds and saves our souls. Uh, the cleansing power and, and the, the life change that comes through union with Christ is pictured by baptism. So we picture it, we support the word. The focus is on the word, the word, the word, the word, the word. But then the second point that we're focusing on for the rest of the time, and, and we can go quickly because I think we, we've kind of laid the groundwork, so we're ready um, to see examples of it. Expressions of biblical worship focus on our engagement. What I mean is, if, if worship is boring to you, there is something wrong. You know, there's some people like, oh, all this stupid singing, I wish we'd just get on with it. And then, you know, the sermon's good, but, you know, chop, chop, hurry up. In fairness, I've heard sermons that made me think that exact thing. Uh, there's a guy named Carl Truman. He says, I've heard a lot of good 30-minute sermons become terrible 60-minute sermons. <laughs> All right. But, but if, if worship is, is not, you know, stirring your emotions and, and if it's not enjoyable to you, that's a, that's a bad reflection on you. There's engagement. Now, the Old Testament is much more explicit and, and varied regarding expressions of worship. Um, there are people that say, well, the New Testament worship is a lot simpler. So in the Old Testament, we had choirs. The New Testament, we don't. And, you know, in the Old Testament, we have all these instruments, but in the New Testament, we don't. And then you have people arguing either for only psalm singing or some churches have no instruments at all. You know, people have come to some odd conclusions and they say, well, we want to be as simple as the New Testament. I think that's inaccurate because I think the primary reason that the New Testament is simpler is because the Old Testament already exists. And we don't just believe the New Testament is inspired. We believe all scripture is given by inspiration of God, is, is God breathed. So the New Testament didn't say like all the, all the worship in the Psalms, we don't do that anymore. 
That, that's a ludicrous idea. We're actually commanded to sing the Psalms. Jesus quoted and prayed and sang the Psalms. So if you say the New Testament's simpler, I think part of that is because it's assuming everything that was taught uh, in the Old Testament, not, not you know, the, the blood sacrifices or, or days, but, but all the things we have in Psalms are still applicable to us today. You know, that kind of worship. So if we want biblical worship, I think looking at the Old Testament, especially at the book of Psalms, I mentioned using the Psalms as a handbook as well as a hymn book. You know, we, we see a lot of varied expressions. I'm going to start with bowing. Um, o come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Okay, so it says bow down. It says literally kneel. Now, um, any of you have a Catholic background? All right, and, and you would sometimes kneel, you know, they had kind of the bench. And I think often it was just kind of a, this is just what you do. Next thing, you know, wah, 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 wah. Okay, but have you ever been in a church that they would kneel down and pray? T- typically, we, you know, we don't have a time everybody kneels down and prays. Um, I've been in a church, and when it was time to pray, the pastor would kneel. Nobody else would kneel. And, and at first, it kind of like, man, why are, you, why are you doing that? It's, you know, like nobody else is doing it. And then I was like, Chris, check yourself. He's, he's doing something that Scripture commends. And, you know, I've been in prayer times maybe at a men's prayer group where, where we're kneeling like everybody faces their chair and kneels, it's, it's a little bit hazardous because you might go to sleep. Um, but to kneel together or in private is biblical. It's an act of reverence, submission, even fear. Perhaps the most common description of expressive worship in Scripture, including kneeling, uh, falling prostrate. The Greek word, you don't need to know this, but proskuneo, the word for worship, literally means to kiss the hand, to kneel down. So, so if your church in a time of prayer said, you know, those of you who are able to kneel, let's, let's kneel and seek the Lord. Why does kneeling matter? Well, it matters if it's an expression of your heart. Okay, you could be kneeling and your mind is wandering and the kneeling does no good. But you're saying, Lord, we're, we're approaching you with humility and awe and dependence. And our physical posture is just one expression of that. So you might do that in private. You might be more comfortable doing that in private, but you could do it at a, at a prayer meeting or corporate time uh, as long as it doesn't become kind of hypocritical and habitual and you don't even think about it. That's one expression that we see in the Psalms. There's, there's mourning. So David is talking about his conviction of sin. He says, when I kept silence, that is, I didn't confess my sins, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. Day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. He's saying, you know, I'm, I'm in mourning over my sin. Or uh, there'd be times they're in mourning over some calamity. Uh, Job talks about, you know, mourning, not only weeping, but it could be um, they would tear their clothes. We, we don't do that. You know, we don't tear our clothes and put ashes on our head. But there were expressions of mourning, especially over sin, that the Bible commends. Okay, now historically, how do people show mourning in, in a Western society? How did they show mourning in a Western society? They might wear black 
you know, for an extended time after a death or something. Um, but that kind of mourning, whether for calamity or sin, was extremely expressive. I mean, there was, there was lamentation crying out. Sorrow was displayed by tearing clothes, wearing sackcloth, putting dust or ashes on one's head in a sign of humble grief. We don't typically do these things. And I'm going to argue, when in our culture we don't do these things, what is, what is our cultural equivalent of that? And generally, I'd say the modern church doesn't mourn ever. You know, we're just, like I said, we're happy all the day. There, there's not a time where we just get together and, and, and grief. Um, in my lifetime, um, I don't remember many times of corporate mourning. Um, the, the short time after 9-11 was one expression where we come together and, and we didn't, you know, at that point sing, um, you know, now I'm happy all the day or, you know, we, we didn't sing just happy, happy songs. We sang, you know, songs of God, be our fortress, our helper, um, you know, songs of dependence, of, of sorrow. So mourning is part of it. Now, we're going to go to the opposite end of, end of the spectrum. Uh, how about shouting? Uh, Psalm 47.1 says, Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Shout to the Lord. Or we're used to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Okay, do we do that? Is this an amening church or not? Not, not an amening church. I mean, if, if, you, if you make a preaching point, if you make a preaching point people really like, it's like, hmm. <laughs> All right, of course, there are churches that like you make a preaching point, it's like, hey, but, you know. I've heard so many times the amen is almost angry, truly. Like, like, it's all quiet, and then you say something like, you know, teenagers today are so rebellious, hey, man, you know, like that, that we're really excited about. I was taught, that when pre- people are amending, you keep on moving. When it gets quiet, now you know you're getting them. You know, now they're convicted and just you know, uncomfortable. Well, shouting to the Lord, and, and we would express it primarily in, in kind of an in, in, uh, inspired, engaged, energetic singing. Nehemiah 12.43, there's this revival happening. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The wives also and the children rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard even far off. So we're talking about miles away, people are hearing the worship. Um, sometimes when, when conservatives criticize uh, like CCM, they say, you know, it's like the worship in the camp when there was the sound of war in the camp. And like, actually... A great loud sound could be descriptive of biblical, joyful, doctrinal, God-honoring worship. We shout to the Lord. We're enthusiastic. Now, tomorrow, you know, I, I don't expect you to show up and yell like you're at a football game. You know, we could do, we've got the spirit. Yes, we do. We've got the spirit. How about you? And, you know, and it would probably be ludicrous. But you do have this exuberant, joyful expression of praise to God. And what does that look like in our setting? Uh, Worship wasn't always quiet. Reverence can be shown through exuberance. 
Don't assume that enthusiasm is showy or false or sensual. It may just be celebratory. I've been very, you know, very happy to judge people's motives. You know, somebody's worshiping and they're very expressive. You know, so we're in a church, nobody raised their hands and somebody raises their hands. and I'm like, oh, they're just doing that to, you know, draw attention to themselves. And they're just, do you know who that reminds me of? Who's the character in the Bible that looked at someone else's exuberant worship and despised him in her heart? Who did that? Michael did that. Was she the hero in that story or the villain in the story? Yeah, David is worshiping with all his might, dancing to the Lord. We'll come to that. And Michael is watching him like, oh, really? Like you, you, did a, you really honored yourself before the people today. She despised him. And David says, I was doing it before the Lord. You know, we, we don't want to be people that are so hypercritical, so quick to roll our eyes. You know, somebody's singing more expressively. Somebody raises their hand. In this church, raising their hand might be like right, right here. Just, just, you know, <laughs> he took his hands out of his pocket. Did you see that? <laughs> you know, just a little, little bit. Who's the, who's the Christian comedian, Tim... Yeah. Yeah. He has a, uh, he has a, there's, you know, there's churches where the worship is like, hold the baby, hold the baby, you know, or it might be like Mufasa. And that's a, that's a <laughs> Lion King reference. And it might be like touchdown. Right, th- this may never be a touchdown church, but if somebody in your church is worshiping more expressively than you do, I'm not saying that has to become the culture of your church. I'm saying the scripture would encourage you not to despise them, not to look sideways and be like, oh, brother, here we go. You know, every time she sings, she closes her eyes. And I think it's ridiculous. It, it doesn't affect you. And especially if they're doing something that has a biblical warrant, not ostentatiously, but, but sincerely, we should be okay with that. And part of that is just, you know, I, I hope to sing tomorrow, we're just going to blow the roof off. Like at the very least in our culture, it can be, man, we sing with energy as if we care, you know, really, really sing out. Uh, There's clapping. The same verse, but it starts with, oh, clap your hands, all you people shout to God with a voice of triumph. I'm going to guess it's a no clapping church. Occasional clapping. The choir sings. Okay. Here's, here's, Here's the way I was taught. If somebody does a special, you don't clap because that's honoring them. You amen. And if they're really good singers, you amen loudly. You know, kind of the, the loud amen is our version of a standing ovation. You know, so the pianist's like, boom, 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 amen. But don't clap. Uh, uh, I was also, you know, we don't clap for people who sing unless it's a children's choir, and then you clap. (laughs) And at my very conservative church in uh, Georgia, um, I mean, very conservative, like like a hundred Bob Jones grads in the church. Um, And there were some people, they might be offended by clapping, but I always loved it when we had a baptism. So we'd give their testimony, they'd be baptized, and as soon as they came out of the water, the place just erupted. Like, what, why are you doing that? 
And the, the people who are opposed to clapping, they say, well, it's not a performance. You know, we're not congratulating the person. Like, no, no, but, but clapping isn't primary. In, in our society, it's not just an expression of, of like standing ovation, you're awesome. It actually can be an expression of agreement. You know, you, you're going to see it during a presidential speech, the State of the Union address, they clap to show like, I really agree, or I'm sitting here because I don't agree at all. And then occasionally the president will say something that makes the other side have to clap because they'd seem un-American and it's kind of a gotcha. But, but clapping can, can mean a lot more than just congratulations. So I don't care if you clap that way or not, but of course it, clapping could actually be an accompaniment with the music. Um, this is another expression of joy, participation in worship, often with music. Some expressions are fluid, meaning various things at various times. In our day, clapping can express joy, agreement, gratitude, approval. Okay, so somebody gets baptized and we're, we're just rejoicing, like, praise God. Praise God. That, like, I'm excited about that. Or the choir, like, we appreciate your effort, but also I was moved by that. Awesome. You know, and, and I'm not sure, you know, if, if I don't clap, do I just like, hmm, yeah, <laughs> amen. You know, I don't know. But, but some expression of participation where we're not just, just kind of flatlined emotionally and just, you know, nothing moves me. <laughs> it's probably not healthy. Lifting hands. Uh, hear the voice of my supplications when I cry unto thee, when I lift up my hands toward thy holy oracle. So uh, there, there's times of expression of lifting your hands to the Lord. That is repeated in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 2.8. I will, he says, I want, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. So I want men to pray with holy, to, by lifting up holy hands. And that's why I say, if, if you really argue strenuously against raising hands, you're, you're in an awkward position because Paul says it's a good thing. And you could say, well, he's talking about in private. I actually, I think that time he's probably talking about corporate prayer meeting. So lifting of hands was an expression of dependence, need, petition, yearning, joy. You, you could almost think, think of it like um, there's times where I might be singing, and, and I do the very conservative Baptist, you know, right here. I, if you go beyond 90 degrees, it's showy, I think. So, but, but part of the expression might just be like, you know, we actually sing, nothing in my hands I bring. Like, God, I've, I've got nothing. I'm empty-handed. And, and Lord, I need you. You know, kind of like a child who's crying and comes to her dad, like, you know, kind of like that pick-me-up. And I, I don't know where kids get it. They don't only lift their hands, but they go like this. That's going to be the next new thing in contemporary worship is going like this. <laughs> All right, so there you go. So, but lifting hands is an expression of worship or praise or need. I know people think I'm nuts, but... I'm running through my neighborhood, I'm listening to Christian music, and as I'm running and gasping and wheezing, uh, sometimes the music I'm listening to is just so moving. And like, I, I tear up, which happens easily to me. I'm just way too emotive. And as I'm running, I'll, I'll raise my hands. Like, you know, we just, I just heard something in the song, like, praise God. So I'm running through my street like, like this, and I'm sure, I'm sure people are taking pictures out their window. <laughs> Well, there's, there's biblical 
background for worship in that way. Now, this is funny, I think. Um, I wrote a song years ago that was published by Bob Jones University. And um, it, the, the song says, Give to God a glorious song, hands extended, voices strong. Bob Jones published it. And of course, every choir that sang it had to be like this. <laughs> so so we, we use it as an artistic flourish. We lift our hands to God, but we never lift our hands to God. And I'm not picking at Bob Jones. I, I enjoy my time with Bob Jones. I'm, I'm just kind of laughing at us and our conservatism. Here's the truth. I was taught to preach with great in energy and animation. You know, I was taught to preach. Like, look at me. I'm walking all over the place. I'm using my hands. I'm, I'm gesturing. You know, I'm very emotive. Music is more emotive than speech, not less. And yet we tell people when they sing, you know, need to be a little soldier. Just, you know, keep it together. Don't, don't be ridiculous. Don't make a scene. Don't act like you care too much. And I'm saying we should, we should be more expressive. I preached on this in our church just like, hey, guys, don't be afraid of the Bible. The Bible talks about lifting your hands in worship. And if there are people in our congregation that as they sing, you know, with a degree of subtlety, but just before the Lord, they're singing to God and they lift their hands. Don't stare at them. Don't roll your eyes. Don't despise. Check your own spirit to not be critical and, and just rejoice that God's working in their heart. Uh, we had a 70-something-year-old lady, and she told me after the service, she said, Pastor, at the end of the service, when we sang before the throne of God above, we got to that line where, you know, when Satan tempts me to despair, and I look up to Jesus, the one who made an end of all my sins, she goes, Pastor, we got to that last verse, and I wanted to lift my hands. I tried to lift my hands, and they just would not go up. <laughs> I told her, I said, listen, don't pull a muscle, don't hurt yourself. <laughs> the fact that her heart was moved was awesome. You know, if, if your hands stay at your side the rest of your life, but your heart is engaged, and there's times you're singing and maybe you can't even finish the line because like, wow, that's beautiful. Or there might be times you're singing and, and you, know, you wipe a tear, but, and, and maybe you're not even expressive that way, but in your heart and mind, like, you're moved by what God has done for you. Praise God for that. And, and for some people, if, if they're worshiping the Lord and they, they feel uh, comfortable and moved to lift their hands and just, you know, thank you, oh, my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. You know, there, there might be a certain line of a song. You're singing, um, it is well, it's all good. But when we sing, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to his cross. And if, if somebody's moved and they express it in song, or they close their eyes, or they lift their hand, don't, don't freak out. Like, it, it's okay. The Bible says it's okay. I'm not saying you have to. I'm just saying just... Don't be afraid of biblical expressions. Now, this one will get you uh, dancing. <laughs> Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and harp. 
You have it again in Psalm 150. Ecclesiastes 3, there's a time for everything, a time for mourning, a time for dancing. You know, what was this? Well, whatever it was, it was a joyful physical expression of delight in God, especially at times of great victory. Of course, it wasn't sensual, but it was a dance. Alan P. Ross, in a book on worship, says, the dance was the natural joy of the human spirit in response to God. The words used indicate that it consisted of whirling and turning, probably a round dance in which the dancers danced in circles. I, I don't know that we're going to get there. Um, somebody sent me a video from Madagascar. And um, I think the language is Malagasy. And someone had translated his robes for mine into Malagasy and a choir singing it. I recognize the tune. I don't know the words, but I, you know, I can imagine what they mean. And that is a very meditative song. And they weren't spinning. But this choir, I mean, you're going to laugh at me. This choir, as they're singing, they just kind of had this like, they would, they would sing like this. And just, that's a, this, is, this is about all I've got. This is my move right here. <laughs> but as they're singing, the whole choir was doing it. And in their context, it was very natural and, and, and actually kind of moving to see, you know, God is so great. I'm not only praising him with my voice and my mind, um, but, but I'm physically I'm moved. And, you know, that was very restrained, but still, still worshipful. I, I, I preach in Africa and Africa, you just buckle up. Um, there is going to be, there is going to be worship and it's joyful, and there's people just as they're singing, they're just dancing, you know, they're, they're jumping. I do it for 30 seconds, and my calves are killing me. <laughs> I, I will tell you this. These are very sincere, Bible-loving people, and they're worshiping so expressively, and I'm not. And then when I'm with them, and I do just a little bit of this, then they're just like, oh, <laughs> the white preacher's dancing with us. This is great. And it's good for me. It's good for me. You know, there, there are physical expressions of delight in God. And, you know, I, I've given you a lot of examples from Scripture. Once in a while, it's just something like, man, we've been praying for somebody to get saved. And, and finally, the person comes to the Lord, and I might be in my office, and I hear about it, and I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. And you're like, man, Pastor, that, that was Pentecostal. <laughs> No, it's just, there, there's times it's just like, finally, oh. praise God. And I'm, I'm not saying that your Sunday services need to have this false emotionalism where, you know, somebody's got to, you know, go into a fit of holy laughter or run up and down the aisle. And I'm, don't do stupid stuff. But I would say, I think it was Jonathan Edwards that said, if we really contemplated how much God has done for us, we would be embarrassed that we're not more moved, more expressive. You know, so it's, it's not fake. It's not conjured. You know, and, and I know you can manipulate people with music and make them happy, make them sad. But I'm primarily talking about you're, you're being moved by truth. So it's, it's your mind is instructed by the word and your emotions follow. Pastor and I were talking about this. Your, your emotions can't be the engine. Your emotions are the caboose. 
the Bible and right doctrine is the engine. But if you have no emotional response to Scripture, you know, look for a pulse. What is wrong with you? There ought to be something that says, man, I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. You know, I, I was moved. We observe the Lord's table, and I don't just like, you know, uh, we're going to get out late again. No, you're, you're actually meditating and thinking, like, Jesus, thank you for shedding your blood. And, you know, it's, in, in Scripture, sometimes we, we say phrases like, I scarce can take it in. Like, I, I can't even fathom your love for me. It's unimaginable. Thank you. And, and it affects you. Might not look any different on Sunday morning, but in your heart, I hope, you, you sense a little bit more intentionality, a little bit more freedom, a little bit more, you know what? I, I shouldn't be so, you know, take it or leave it, stoic, passive. I should, I should be affected by the truth. And Psalms at least gives us that example. There's a stunning breadth of expressions of worship, depending on circumstances, culture, or even depending on personality. You know, not everybody has to dance like David danced. Uh, the physical expression was legitimate only as it reflected the spiritual reality. Uh, in the minor prophets, often God just says, I, I hate your hypocrisy. Don't fake it. You know, you, if you're raising your hands so somebody sees you raise your hands, stop it and repent. You forget you and just focus on God. There's an individuality to worship responses. I say, for example, David's exuberance and Michael's reserve would have both been acceptable. You know, Michael didn't need to go out and dance, but she shouldn't have been despising someone who did. Okay, so, so there might be some people more expressive and some less, and it's okay. You don't have to be the same. You shouldn't be the same. Um, what is essential is whole being engagement of truth. I haven't even talked about that, but the first and great commandment is what? To love God with your heart and soul, and mind, and strength. I mean, all of you is engaged. Okay, it's not only your mind, but it's your entire being passionately going after God and adoring Him. Where does that leave us? Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not in leadership here. But when I have taught this to the churches I pastored, we don't want to be an emotion-driven church we also don't want to be an emotion-suppressing church. We're not trying to conjure it up, but we're not trying to, you know, hey, stop it. Somebody over there got excited about the preaching? Knock it off, please. <laughs> Ushers, come. No, just, you, you, don't, you don't have to do anything. Just, just be sincere and kind of leave people alone within reason. You don't want mind, uh, mandates or groupthink, you know. Tomorrow, let's all try raising our hands. No. Um, because the people who aren't here tonight would probably have cardiac arrest. <laughs> I would say it this way. Don't strive to be in a minning church or a no-amining church. Don't strive to be a hand-raising church or a no-hand-raising church. A clapping church or a no-clapping church. Don't strive to be anything. But within the bounds of Scripture, just just kind of give people some individual soul liberty, as we say we believe as Baptists, to, to worship the Lord in a way that's meaningful to them. If it's consistent with Scripture, we don't want to despise each other. We've talked about that. Uh, don't assume, all right, and, and this is a correction for me, don't assume that quietness is disinterest. See, I'm so expressive, 
And then I see somebody, they never move. I'm like, man, that guy doesn't even care. How do I know? That's a, that's a pretty arrogant statement. Not, not everybody's going to worship or express like I express. But, but we just say, you know, Lord, work in people's hearts. I'm praying for the rest of our congregation that you'll move them. And even if, even if their hands stay in their pockets, just work in their hearts. All right, so don't be judgy that way. Uh, we do want to foster deep engagement of the truth, even with a conservative style. We do want to foster a psalm-like fervency, which is rooted in the mind, but which also moves the heart, recalling that the psalms are our model for worship. We do want to give each other freedom to respond to biblical truth personally, appropriately, and openly as reflected in Scripture. And we want to promote a culture of joyful grace. Okay, so um, especially as the Lord allows your church to grow. Uh, maybe some degree as your church um, becomes more uh, multi-ethnic and, and people come and they're just, they're accustomed to more expression. Embrace that. You know, that's, it's not something to fix. Like, just, just praise God. And uh, within our doctrinal statement, within the scriptures, let's just sing together. And, um, and all of you lift your voices. A few of you want to lift your hands. It's okay. You know, it, it doesn't, just please. It doesn't mean that your church is like sloping, slumping toward compromise. If somebody is singing with their eyes closed and, and their hands raised. You know, it, it doesn't mean that something's wrong. Okay, don't, don't be afraid of what the Bible commends. All right? Any questions? No. Okay, let's pray. <laughs> Any questions? We're over time. Any questions you'd like to ask? I can't wait to see what tomorrow's going to look like. <laughs> yes, Paul. I'll be brave enough to ask a question. You did mention about excess and people being emotionalized and stoic, being stoic. Um, there is some place in there where we as a church can be. We, we definitely are not encouraging like exhibitionism where, you know, somebody is showing how godly they are and, and just, you know, and, and attracting all their attention, you know, and, um, but trying to like nip that in the bud, you know, listen, sister, I need you to not lift your hands. You know, you're distracting, especially if you're sitting in the front. I, I think what you're losing by, by that kind of intentional suppression is probably not a good thing. And part of it is, I, I guess you do fit a culture. Like, I've never danced in an American church in my life. And when I was in Uganda, it almost would have been offensive for me just to, to be unmoved. So I did fit their culture to a degree. But I, I would say your culture, it's less like drawing a line and more drawing a box. And, and the, box of, of, the box of expressions that are exemplified in the Psalms, we're, we're going to be comfortable with that. And, and not everyone will be in exact agreement. You know, you don't, you don't have to take a congregational vote. Are people allowed to rif, lift their hands to their waist? You know, at, at some point, you just you know, give, give people a little bit more privacy than that. 
Um, but you don't want exhibitionism that becomes distracting either, you know. And I, I was preaching at a church, and there was a guy, very, yeah, I think a, a very sincere guy. And instead of, like, saying amen, I would make a preaching point, and he'd go, woo! <laughs> it was a little bit unnerving, you know. Um, and I asked his pastor about it, he's like, yeah, he's kind of eccentric that way. And, but, you know, we, we don't really want to, you know, stop doing that in our church, you know, which I think is probably healthy. Yep. I like the analogy of the box. What are some examples of things that would be clearly outside the box? Um, mercy. That's, that's a tough question. Let me tell you this. Let me, let me speak to Faith Baptist Church as a whole. You're probably not at risk at being overexpressive. <laughs> like, thank you. I, I would say I would say you have you have you know some room for maybe more without it becoming excessive. Um, you know, if if someone if someone were like, I don't know, somebody that maybe in their church setting it's very appropriate to like dance and clap and kind of an aerobic thing. In our church, it's like, man, that's probably, you know, praise the Lord. But in our setting, it's it's becoming distracting. And we, nev- we never want our attention to be taken off of Christ as we're singing. Like, so, so when I'm saying, this is just me, but I'm singing, when I'm moved, I'm, I'm probably, you know, there's going to be times I close my eyes, but not always because, because I'm worshiping with you. Not just, it's not just my personal time, I'm with you. And I might lift my hands, but I prefer not to be this guy, number one, because I always have sweat stains. And number two, because I don't want to be in the church and everybody behind me is, is now seeing me. But on the other hand, if they, if they see me singing with my hands like this, you know, I, I don't think I'm being a distraction and they might just need to, to recalibrate their conscience to be okay with that. So it, it, it's a little bit, you know, a little bit tricky question. Um, if you're part of a church culture, you want to fit into it. But I'm saying your church culture should probably, you know, be willing to be a little bit more tolerant of varied expressions. Yes. Uh, First Corinthians 14, I think, is helpful. It's, it's the context of, of tongues in that, in that yeah. church. But he says, you know, if, if, when truth is not driving the, the train, so to speak, when it's not exhorting and, and, and truth is being proclaimed, when an outsider comes in, we'll say, aren't you out of your minds? And you should do all things decent, decently and in order, right? Mm-hmm. So it's saying that as you worship, it wants to be, truth wants to drive it, as we just said. Um, but I think where we differ and, and squabbles break out is when we say all things should be done decently and in order. People have a different definition of what's decent and what is in order. And so one person will look at someone raising their hands and say, well, that's not decent. But, but you know, that's not, not actually... And I would say, you know, the, the devil's advocate maybe, but I can't call something disorderly that Scripture commends. You know, so now somebody's running up and down the aisle or, you know, a fit of holy laughter or swooning, then I'd say, okay, that, the Bible doesn't talk about that, and it's, it's distracting, it's out of order. You know, but but to some degree, if if pastor's singing and just you know lifts his hands, 
he hasn't done anything out of line with Scripture. It's not disorderly. You're just not used to it. Okay, there's a difference between what you're not used to and what the Bible forbids. <laughs> and in our mind, we, we tend to equate those two things. The fact that you're not used to it doesn't mean it's, it's inappropriate. So I'm just saying, you know, see, the good thing about being a guest speaker is I can roll a bomb in the room and then <laughs> my flight leaves on Monday. Um, I, I do think, I, I would say your conservatism is it's probably your culture, but um, I would say don't be threatened if somebody expands that culture, if the box gets a little broader. Yes? I think it, it may be probably more likely David took off his like royal garments and he just made himself as another person. And, and she, you know, she was mortified that he would not be more majestic, more presidential or something. Um, but yeah, I would definitely affirm no nudity. <laughs> All right, guys, I know it's a can of worms. And bring a message like this, Candidly, I, I probably am trying to open a little bit of a can of worms. So you just say, let's, let's be willing to think, is what we're doing the only right way or is it our way? And, and we can be a little bit more open. Maybe the box could have a little spandex in it. The, <laughs> <laughs> all right, not spandex. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> not spandex, but a, a little flex, a little flex. I like that. Yes. Where it's tricky, where I would say, like, you know, she doesn't need to be a distraction. Yeah. She could, she could fit in a little bit more. Yeah. But, but maybe the reason her husband felt like people are looking at her is because, because you're so used to your box being here. Maybe people were looking at her, and and at some point they could just, just not notice, you know. And, and maybe he could be a little bit. So I, I think all of us have a little bit of growth where where we we're a little bit more willing to accommodate. She should be more willing to accommodate. Her husband should be more willing to accommodate. The church should be more willing to accommodate with, within the box of Scripture. Wow, this... Yes, you can go home. It's over. <laughs> couple more, yeah. But um, I like to look at it this way. God created each one of us different, but he loves us all the same. So when others are worshiping different, I think I think the diversity of the body is one of the great beauties of the body. We're not all the eye. We're not all the you know. We, there is a diversity. And let, let me just 
try to give an illustration that, that might make you feel more at ease. Um, tomorrow morning, men, how many of you are going to wear a coat and tie? <laughs> All right, so we, we have coat and tie people. Do we have anybody that you're going to come tomorrow with a coat and no tie? Okay, we have a couple of those. How about a tie and no coat? Okay, and, and some of you, to my great shock, are in shorts tonight. It's in Florida. They were in Florida. But, you know, so ladies, you're going to wear dresses or somebody will wear pants? Is this a dresses church or a dresses or pants church and you don't really care? But there was a, but there was a time. There was a time where every good standing male member better be in a coat and tie. Every good standing female member better be in a, in a dress. And, and now your church has kind of moderated to a point that it's like, you know what, we... We've got bigger things to worry about. A lady's going to come in pants, and it, it's not noticeable. She's not going to be rebuked. She's, you know, a guy who doesn't wear a tie, it's not, it's not going to be a thing. And, and, you know, that kind of accommodation, you, you might say, I'll never come to Sunday morning without a coat and tie. That's fine. Don't. But somebody else does, and you shouldn't despise them, right? You shouldn't look down on them. And, and we've got to fix this, Pastor. Tell the men to wear a shirt, you know, coat and tie. No, you, you can give each other some liberty on, on something that unessential. And I would say your expressions in worship could be comparable. You know, we don't have to have a dress code. We don't have to have, we don't have, to have these expressions are permissible and these are not. And, and um, I'm not saying it won't, wouldn't make you uncomfortable if I lift my hands tomorrow, and I might. Um, it, it might make you uncomfortable, but just be careful about being too dogmatic about your preferences especially if your preferences are okayed by Scripture. Last one. There is a form of modesty that if it's detracting from somebody being able to worship. Okay, so we talk about modesty. We basically mean cover your body up. But a thorough understanding of modesty means you're, you're not being a distraction. And if you're in a church where everybody is is pretty subdued and you're very exuberant, it could be immodest, you know? So there's, but listen, I'm, I'm just asking you, don't let yourself off the hook and say, see, so we, you know, we can give weird looks to people who raise their hands. Um, you're, you're not in danger of being emotionalistic and, and you probably could, could allow for a little bit more expression. And it's, it's probably going to come in time. It might even be a generational thing. And, you know, you, you have young people who love Jesus and are a little bit more expressive. Don't, don't suppress that, you know, within reason. All right. I'm sorry for whatever I started. <laughs> Susan had a question. I think that's the, 
the survey of the Psalms says there's sometimes where the appropriate response is quiet, mourning, sorrow. And there's sometimes that the appropriate response is, is high energy. Yeah. I wish I was not, high energy. I'm but it's not. I'm like the lady who can't get her hand up after all. Yeah. But it's, but it's not. I think the Bible put it in there, though, to kind of correct our tendency to be so judgy and said like, yeah, David's worshiping with a pure heart before the Lord and Michael despised him. We, we don't want to be Michael in that equation. You know, so, um, you know, it may be that nothing changes except that you just, in the back of your mind, you say, you know what, if there's, if there's worship expressions that the Bible's comfortable with, I shouldn't be so uncomfortable with them. And then just marinate in that for a little bit. All right. Well, Lord, uh, thank you for today in the study and uh, any mess I created, I pray that you will clean it up. And uh, we, we really do want to be people of the book and uh, not, not just people keeping up with culture. We want to be people that are aligned with scripture. And uh, I pray that above all, when we come to worship you in song, uh, that our hearts will be engaged with the truth. Our minds will be thinking about the text. We'll be thinking of the scriptures. We'll be We'll be praising you and exhorting each other, and, and it will bring you pleasure. And, uh, and it will honor you even as it uh, affects and, and helps to sanctify us. And I pray for that tomorrow. I pray for a great day of worship together as we lift our voices in song, uh, as we read scripture, as we study scripture together. Uh, make it just a great day. I, I do pray that outsiders will come in. And, and by the content of our worship and by the devotedness of our worship, that they'll see it and, and desire it. And you'll even use that to draw people to yourself. Uh, give us rest tonight. And uh, I know kind of a short time before we come back, but I pray that we'll be spiritually, emotionally, physically refreshed and, and glad to be in the house of the Lord tomorrow. So we commit uh, this to you. We thank you again for the good uh, time and your word, the good discussion tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.